Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms, so that they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about five thousand men there. Jesus replied, Tell them to sit down in groups of about fifty each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looking up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants that just have those continuous tables that they're not broken down into smaller sizes for individual parties or groups? You're just plugged into a long line of seats, and sometimes it's picnic tables strung together, or sometimes it's just tables strung together with chairs in a long row. I know places like Pappy's in St. Louis have a setup like that with picnic tables, and there's a place on South Grand called Rooster that has that long row of tables, too. I haven't been to a place like that since the outbreak started, but I can tell you that I am torn on that type of seating, even if you're not introducing a massive contagion into the mix. If I'm doing those Myers-Briggs types of personality tests, I used to land squarely in the E category for extrovert. It was never a problem for me to engage in conversation. The problem was getting me to stop. Time, pastoral ministry the knowledge that I'm nowhere near as interesting as I once imagined myself to be, made me slightly less chatty and a little bit more likely to listen in those situations, but I think it's also that my personality has balanced more towards the introvert column. So now I'm still slightly more extroverted than introverted, and even if it's extroverted, hopefully just a little bit less obnoxious about it. So the extrovert part of me loves that setup of long, borderless tables. Put everyone together. Why not? We're one big happy family. Let's catch up, even though we've never met. Part of me is excited by that whole prospect. But the introvert, introvert part of me is like, who invited all these people? As a younger guy, I used to go around with a bass guitar in my vehicle or a gym bag, so in case there was a, a jam session that was happening or a pickup game of basketball, something, now I pretty much could carry a pillow around with me at any time because I'm ready for a nap at the drop of a hat. And the energy it takes to invest in the lives of strangers can feel daunting sometimes. Anybody else have that type of ambivalent excitement and anxiety when you're faced with that type of communal dining? It can happen at lunchrooms and potlucks just as easily. Ultimately, 
if that's just part of the deal, I sit down, eat, engage, and have a good experience, and the tired, introvert part of me survives to protest another day. But I do like what's possible in those situations. Back when tables weren't divided up by makeshift shower curtain COVID barriers, people could start off as strangers or acquaintances, and then something happens when you spend time around people over food. You get to know people a little better. Not everyone is good at that, but I think it's often fun and usually good to give a try. It reminds me a lot of the scripture that we're spending time with today. It's not a restaurant, but people did come to be fed in more ways than one that was true. And in the process, a lot of new connections were formed. Jesus didn't ask anybody their personality type at all. He was going to do his thing regardless. Now, this story is in all four Gospels, and it's the only miracle story where that's the case. What does that mean? It means that this is a super important story to those who knew Jesus best. Some people in 2,000 years of Christianity have tried to interpret this miracle in different ways. Some say the miracle was that a little boy, that's who John's gospel tells us, had this snack along, that a little boy inspired a crowd to be generous with their food. That if he was willing to give up what little he had, then they should be able to give up what they were stashing and hiding in their fear of scarcity as well. That's the miracle, some folks say. It was the miracle of a change of heart, that stingy people become generous and that the strangers who showed up to have their own needs served became people who care for each other. Having spent time with folks, I don't discount the power of that particular miracle. Heart change is a big deal and it's definitely a work of God. Still, that reads a lot into the scripture. Maybe that is how it went down. I don't think heart change is any less miraculous than the God of creation who made all things also increase the amount of fish and bread. Still, I don't need it to be that way. A way of explaining away Christ's ability to do the impossible, to create outcomes that do not naturally occur without the intervention of God in time and space. And this passage points to the power of Jesus to miraculously multiply. Here's the lesson where we pick up today's scripture. Hungry and hurt people will find where folks get fed and healed. Hungry and hurt people will find where folks get fed and healed. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Have you ever needed time away? Maybe you just needed your squad with you, or maybe you just needed some time all alone. We all have those times. It may be stress. It may be grief. It may be noisy children. It may be wine 30 for you sometimes. And every once in a while, that time will get stopped short and interrupted. It's frustrating because you may be at the end of a very short rope but a demand comes your way, and sometimes you can wave it off, but sometimes you just cannot avoid it. In the Bible, most of the Gospels have this miracle occurring just shortly after the death of Jesus' friend and cousin, John the Baptist. There was a real love between these men, and they shared some very similar vocational hazards. 
John had been actively frustrating the religious and political powers of the time. And he was eventually arrested and beheaded for it. Jesus was frustrating the same folks through his ministry. And I believe he knew he came to earth to eventually meet a similar fate. So between the grief and the reality of what he would someday face, Jesus just needed some time to get himself together. Painful things hurt. And it, taking time to heal from that is not a sin. That's just living real life. Jesus was hurting, and he needed a moment. But hungry and hurting people needed him. This is where we see that Jesus wasn't here to serve himself, but he came to serve and sacrifice. He was the only real option for these folks to experience legitimate healing, and maybe the only one who could provide sustenance to feed their bodies, too. This interaction all takes place in a remote fishing area. Some folks in that region, in that line of work, did well. But most people working the waters didn't get rich off of fish. They usually had just enough, if they had enough at all. Jesus seemed to bring with him life and abundance. That's a great promise for those who live in the shadow of death and scarcity. They're drawn to him. Hurting and hungry folks are still drawn to Christ's power to feed and heal. I think the challenge a lot of churches face these days is that many of us are pretty well fed, but we're not terribly healthy. Some of our spirits are sick with guilt, grudges, sin, shame, critical spirits, terrible talk, and some of the associated behaviors that back it up. I wonder sometimes, maybe folks aren't seeing Christ's power to heal his church, so they aren't seeking him out in his churches. I mean, how will people know Christ has the power to heal and make whole if we remain satisfied in our sickness and brokenness? But church, Jesus does still have the power to heal and make whole. We all have need of what Jesus has to offer. And when it comes down to it, I guess the church's message has never been, come see what Jesus has completed in me, but come with me. I'll introduce you to Jesus because he's continuing to do healing work in my life. I think people would still be drawn to a Savior who is able to restore lives. Where is Jesus restoring yours? Our second lesson this morning is this. Following Jesus means he'll put more than food on your plate. Following Jesus means he'll put more than food on your plate. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. I remember starting jobs where I got to ask all the questions and plead ignorance and people had to accommodate for my learning curve. And after time, that shifts, though. You move from the ignorant neophyte to a person who might have some seniority and experience and possibly something to teach. And next thing you know, somebody's coming to you with the same silly questions you first had. And you realize you possibly run out of some of your best excuses to plead ignorance. And plus, you might also be getting old, or maybe it's just me that feels that way. As our faith matures, more and more is expected of us for the sake of God's kingdom. And sometimes Christian folks will pray to delay. 
We know what we're supposed to do, but we say we're seeking God about it when really we're just kind of hoping God changes his mind and lets us off the hook. Or sometimes we toss tough stuff back to God like it's a hot potato. God might tell us something like, I need you to serve. Not it. You should invite that person. Hard pass. You should check your spirit before sharing that. Next time. It's time for you to move up to a tithe. You do it. When Jesus gives us responsibility, he's saying, I have faith that you will have faith in me. I have faith that you will have faith in me. In this situation, the disciples were asked to do the impossible. Feed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children present, without having a huge stock of food at their disposal. They wanted Jesus to ship these folks out. And instead, Jesus told them to solve the unsolvable problem. They were able to scrape up a little something, and I'm sure they thought it would never be enough to feed all these folks. And without Jesus, let's be real, it would not have been enough. They needed to figure that with Jesus, it would be plenty. And sometimes Jesus gives us chances to learn that too. He gives us responsibility, sometimes even impossible situations, so we can see Jesus come through in ways that we could never have otherwise imagined. When you face these moments, Jesus is giving you a chance to trust through challenge. And here's why we can. It's because, and this is our third lesson, it's because Jesus is in the business of multiplication. Jesus is in the business of multiplication. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. And so the people all sat down. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Right out of the gates here, Jesus takes individuals or small groups and makes them into family, into community. Culturally at the time, the group of 50 would have been larger than an extended family unit, you were going to be grouped into a community that you didn't necessarily have a connection with before. Through individuals responding to Christ's introduction, instruction, Jesus multiplied relationships. Jesus takes a snack and makes it into a feast for thousands. One young person gave what he had and Jesus multiplied sustenance. Listen, God is able to make something from nothing. He speaks and things come into being. That's what the creation narrative tells us. But since the beginning, it seems like God chooses to do something different. God chooses to multiply. Even God doesn't multiply nothing, but God can multiply something. I picked that up from my friend Shane Bishop. Anything multiplied by zero equals zero. But that's our math. And God is not at all restricted by it. Still, it seems like if we had something hand it over to God in faith. God can increase it exponentially. Let's look at the places where God makes a claim in our lives. When we look at our calendars and it seems like our time may be scarce, what would happen to our time if we prioritized giving God time for things like worship and study and service? What if we look at our families and prioritize things like opportunities to pray or to have important conversations about our relationship with God and our spiritual lives? 
What if we look at our wallets and our generosity to church, neighbors, and charity? I believe Jesus is regularly handing us opportunities to see his power all the time, his ability to move in exponential ways, and it will often require something of us. And when we trust these somethings to Jesus, we'll find that he is faithful with them. He is always and ultimately faithful. The goodness of God multiplies before us and reminds us that our trust in Jesus is well-founded. Back at the lake picnic, after everyone was full, the disciples found that there was still enough for them to pack in to carry for their next leg of the journey. How? How is that possible? Well, I'm unsure. Why? Because that's simply what our God does. Where is Jesus giving you that challenge? Where is he saying to you, I have faith that you'll have faith in me? What's something that Jesus is calling you to place in his hands to multiply for the sake of his kingdom? What's the relationship Jesus is inviting you to build? Those callings may look impossible to us, but to God, it looks like a chance to build a feast and build a family. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, for all that you have entrusted to us, we give you thanks. And when we see impossible situations before us, help us to remember your faith that we will have faith in you. Help us to look at those as opportunities to see that you are powerful, that you are generous, and that you are good. And Lord, let us see that you are the God of multiplication that as we entrust more and more of our lives to you, we will find that in return, we experience life that is true, that is abundant and eternal. This is the gift of Jesus Christ for those who trust. We offer ourselves for your glory and for your kingdom's increase in Christ's powerful name. Amen.